What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, March 4th, 2015. Got a good show for you today. Jeff Howe from the Boston Herald. I talked to him earlier this morning via the Skype phone line, and we talked a lot about NFL franchise tags, and we got into some Patriots stuff. Darrell Revis, he's got some scoop on it. Possibly what Darrell Revis's mindset is going to be as he looks for a new contract. And we're just waiting on when that new contract is going to be signed. Because if you're the New England Patriots and you do not bring back Darrell Revis, you are officially out of your fucking mind. I mean, and, and, we'll, and again, we're going to play that with Jeff, the audio with Jeff Howe in just a few minutes. But I'm going to open the show up with some NFL thoughts because we did have a big, big trade last night. LaShawn McCoy going to Buffalo in exchange for linebacker uh, Kiko Alonso, right? I, I mean, is this this was the trade? Um, Kiko Alonso was going to the Eagles, and he's an Oregon guy. And Chip Kelly is stacking up on Oregon guys, and it makes you wonder what's going to happen with the draft and and Mariota. Is he going to end up as Chip Kelly's quarterback? I don't understand a lot of the moves that happen in the National Football League. I don't understand the salary cap. I don't understand the offseason that is the NFL. All right? I don't. And it seems every single year we get into a discussion about how teams can no longer afford their star players. They need to restructure or they need to cut them and then sign another deal or they just need to trade them or just let them loose and get rid of them. This is a league problem. I don't know how the fuck you fix it, but I'll tell you this. I'm I'm tired of hearing about it. I, I don't hear this stuff in any other league where teams and their star players, they just can't, you know, just can't afford them. So they just up and cut them and they move on. It's, it happens in the NFL. And I guess here in New England, we're sort of waiting for a shoe to drop with the Patriots and their salary cap. You know, I'm sort of sitting here waiting for the news on what veteran is going to just get cut to make some room for Darrell Revis or even Devin McCourty or maybe some other guys. Or what guys are you going to restructure with? I mean, last year we had the whole Logan Mankin situation. And it makes you once again discuss how the Patriots, you know, hey, there's no sacred cow in New England, right? You know, there's, there's nobody that is better than anybody else. I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care how good you are in this league. Um, I don't care how big a piece you are to this team or even in this locker room. If your salary's too high, we can't restructure. Or we don't think uh, that, you know, you're somebody we want to combine your skill with, your salary with anymore. Then we're just going to let you let you loose. Either cut you or trade you. And... Look, the Patriots are over the salary cap. They're going to obviously need to make moves to bring Revis back. But I guess my concern here is, and and I know there's some time left, and yesterday I talked about not wanting to overreact to things, uh, you know, guys who are not franchised. You know, Devin McCourty doesn't get the franchise tag. And I think the immediate tone in this town is that he won't be back. I always looked at the franchise tag, me personally, as if, hey, if I'm a player in this league, that doesn't get the franchise tag put on on me in, a, in, in an offseason where I'm able to cash in, that's a good thing for me as a player. I'm not upset with the Patriots if I'm Devin McCourty. This is a great thing for him. 
So I don't want to hear any negative fucking tones coming out of his mouth, all right? This, because this is probably a pretty good thing for Devin McCourty, that they didn't sign him to a one-year, $9 million deal. And you might roll your eyes and say, well, he's making, he'll, he'll make $9 mil. That's the, the franchise tag for safeties in the National Football League. That's the franchise tag number. Um, all right, fine. But when you're a player in this league, I would think that you want the longevity. Of, because let's say McCourty get, gets franchised and he gets hurt this year. And all of a sudden, he goes into next offseason with no negotiation leverage. And he probably has to take a, a smaller deal than he could have received if he didn't get franchised this year. So if I'm a player and I don't get franchised in an offseason that I can go out and make some big money on a multi-year deal... I'm happy that I don't get franchised. So I don't want to hear this negative tone that that's a, somehow a bad thing for Devin McCourty or that he's automatically not coming back to the Patriots. I, I'm not going to go there with that. But you have to factor in the other moves the Patriots need to make. And if you lined them up on a wall and you told me who the Patriots need to bring back and they can only bring back one of the two, Darrell Rivas or Devin McCourty, it is a no-brainer. Darrell Rivas, that's the guy you bring back. All right? I don't know that I'm even using that as a knock on Devin McCourty. I like Devin McCourty. He's a nice player. But let's be honest. Darrell Revis, the Revis effect is a real thing. And what he did with his defense is he changed the way it works. And him and Brown are combined. Those are the, that, those are the pieces that you need in place on that defense next year. And everything's going to be okay. If you bring back McCourty and you try to sell to this town in New England that you can't bring Revis back because you gave McCourty a multi-year deal. Sorry, that is not going to fly. And I am not going to accept that as being uh, uh, anything positive for this franchise. Look, the Patriots do this. We talk about it. Again, you go back to Logan Mankins. You can go to Seymour. I mean, there's multiple players that we've talked about that we thought they should, you know, people said at the time, hey, they should not have got rid of this guy. They should not have got rid of that guy. I mean, hey, last year they got rid, you know, they let Tlaib go. The the good thing was they let Tlaib go and they improved at that position. You had a guy last year in Revis where if you let him go, anybody that you bring in will not be an improvement at that position. I'm sorry. And you might be able to bring in a pretty good guy in a trade somehow. I have no idea. But I don't want to see that. And for an organization that we're talking about now has the potential to win another championship in the next couple of years... Forget about wide receivers. Forget about Andre Johnson. People have this, oh, Andre Johnson, he's got to come to New England. I don't give a shit about Andre Johnson. Tom Brady threw four touchdown passes to four different receivers in the Super Bowl. And let me tell you this, Andre Johnson was not the name of one of them. I'm okay with, with, uh, with Andre Johnson not being on the Patriots, all right? Uh, I'm okay with the receiving core that we, that we have here in New England. It's funny, you always hear this conversation of, Oh, they need to give Brady weapons. Well, Tom Brady had no weapons in the first four weeks of the season last year. Nothing on the roster changed in the offense in week five against Cincinnati except for the blocking and the time that Tom Brady had in the pocket. And all of a sudden, you got guys, analysts on TV saying, wow, look at all the weapons Tom Brady has this year. Nothing changed on the roster. Tom Brady just got some more time in the pocket. That's all. And he started spreading the football around like he's capable of doing with some pretty good receivers. Um, I'm okay with, with this team not going out and, and adding offense. I don't need to see that. 
what I need to see is Darrell Rivas back in a Patriots uniform. And I'm almost, and I know there's some days left until the March 10th free agency, but I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that sitting here on Wednesday morning, March 4th, about six days before free agency. I'm, I'm surprised that we're still having this conversation because it means that Darrell Rivas still is not under a contract. And I'm surprised that he's not. This is not... this. Look, I, I believe in Belichick. I am somebody that will tell you... I told you the Logan Mankins deal was fine. I was okay with it. I told you some things in the past are okay. You know, believe in Bill Belichick. In Bill we trust. I am there with you. I'm right there for the people that want to do that, the people that want to get in that conversation. I believe Belichick does things the right way, and sometimes where they may look shady, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt based on the fact that this is an organization that I consider to be a dynasty. This is a Patriots organization that I consider to be um, a team that's going to win the division or at least have the best chance to win the division every single year, get to the playoffs, right? We're talking about a team that went to four straight AFC championship games. Uh, and they could make it five. They could make it five. But it's winning that game. And then when you get to the Super Bowl, winning that one as well. And Darrell Rivas, I'm sorry, is someone that you cannot let go. And while in the past, I've been all about this whole in Bill We Trust model because I trust him, and I just told you the reasons why, we, I, we talk about championships in this town. And maybe we're spoiled. No, not maybe. Definitely. We're spoiled here in Boston. We're spoiled here in New England. Um, I'm, you know, I have my flight book to San Francisco for Super Bowl 50 because I think the Patriots will be in the game. But I also thought it was a no-brainer that they would bring Darrell Rivas back. Why are we having this conversation right now? Why is he not under some type of contract? This is not the guy you want to play games with. And I'm not going to accept anything less than Darrell Rivas being in a Patriots uniform next year. To be honest with you, I don't care what you have to do to make it happen. I don't care what you have to do to make it happen. That's how high I am on Darrell Rivas. And if you're not as high on Darrell Rivas as I am, then you didn't watch the guy play last season, and you didn't watch how the defense played when he was on the field. Right? Um, this is not the guy that this team should be playing games with. And if they do, and he leaves town, I will be the first to sit here and crush the New England Patriots organization for losing a guy that can certainly help them win another championship in the next couple of years. I, and, and I don't ever do that when they get rid of guys, big names, important guys to the organization, good guys, locker room guys, glue guys, you name it, on the field prominent roles with this team, it doesn't matter. When they get rid of guys, I defend the Patriots. I defend the front office. I defend Bill Belichick, but not with Darrell Rivas. If they don't bring him back, that is a downright fucking shame, and the organization should get crushed, and I will be the first to crush him. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that we are even having this conversation right now. I am. I'm surprised that we're still talking about it. You know, the conversation we should be having is out of the guys out of the other free agents or out of the other players on this team that um, that you have on the roster making too much money, which players are you going to either cut or restructure their contract? Or maybe do both. Cut them and then bring them back on another contract, right? Which one of these guys are we going to do that with in order to get under the salary cap before uh, March 10th? 
Uh, that's the conversation we should be having because we'll be saying, well, Darrell Revis is locked up, and we're glad that that thing is done so we don't have to worry about a team like the Jets or the Bills sneaking in on March 11th or 12th and having a conversation with Revis and trying to convince him to, to, to come to their team. But, I, you know, you hope it doesn't get to that point. If it does, I, I honestly, look, Jeff Howe, Jeff Howe lets us in. He lets us in to the potential mindset of Darrell Rivas, and I and and you're gonna hear that in just a few minutes. Um, and I hope he's right. I hope he's right on Rivas's mindset, because that would be a good thing for the Patriots. But if I'm the Patriots, I do not, I can't play games with that. I hope that I hope that they don't play games with Darrell Rivas. Not this guy. Not this player. Not now. Don't do that. Well, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, you know, I'm I'm surprised that we're even having this conversation right now. That he's not locked up yet. I am. So, hey, we got the McCoy trade last night. I, I can tell you this. Chip Kelly, if his goal is to bring in Oregon guys, just to bring in Oregon guys, he's going to fail in this league. And he's going to fail miserably, miserably and he's going he's gonna to hit rock bottom, and he's going to hit hard, and he's going to hit fast. Um, you can't do that. We say a lot about Bill Belichick and the Patriots bringing in Rutgers guys. Here's what I know. Bill Belichick brings in guys that happen to be from Rutgers, but he makes moves based on football, based on on-field stuff. It's football. It's still a football and a business decision. It's not a, hey, I coached this guy uh, in the past. I coached all these guys. I like the fact that they went to the school, that they wore these colors. These are my type of guys, and I'm going to bring them to my team in the NFL. And a way I'll do that is by trading a prominent player in this league and a Pro Bowl player in this league in order to make that happen, in order to get more of those guys. If that's Chip Kelly's strategy here in this McCoy-Kiko Alonso trade, Chip Kelly is going to fail, and he's going to fail miserably in the National Football League. And if he turns it into a Mario, you know, gets up in the draft to get Mariota, um, you know, all of a sudden, what I think we should do is we should put the clock over Chip Kelly's head. And try to figure out just how much time he has in this league. And at what point do we start thinking he's going to accept the job back in college? Because if that is not, I'm telling you right now, that's not going to work. If the strategy is to just bring in Oregon guys because he coached there and he feels comfortable with Oregon guys and guys that he's coached before, he is going to lose in this league. Right? He's going to lose in this league. So, uh, that, that's my reaction to the trade last night. McCoy, you got rid of McCoy, and I, I guess I question the reasons for it, right? I, I question the reasons for it. Alonzo didn't even play last year, right? Didn't he miss all of last season with an injury? So, I, I don't understand it. It seems like the NFL is a league that every single year we talk about star players just getting shipped out, but maybe this is different. Maybe this this has more to do with Chip Kelly wanting another Oregon guy, I, and that's just that's just sad if that's the case. But that's the trade um, in the NFL. You had that Kentucky-Georgia game last night, college basketball. Georgia, I tweeted this. The Bulldogs put their work boots on last night. They, and they went to work, and they were in that game, right? If I'm a Kentucky fan, the best thing that, can, that could happen at Kentucky is that they lose that game last night. Honestly, get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. And I'm not telling you that the team should go out and try to lose the players shouldn't try to lose. The coaches shouldn't try to coach to lose. That's not going to happen. But from afar, or if you're a fan, 
deep down inside, I'm sorry. The best thing for you, if you're wearing a Kentucky t-shirt out there today, is that your team loses again before you get to the tournament. And, you know, this happens all the time with teams that are undefeated. You get into a conversation as to whether or not you, you know, whether it's going to be good for your mindset or you just get it out of the way. And I can remember the Patriots, and we had the conversation with their potentially perfect season, which turned into not be 19-0 and and turned out to be 18-1, and which is just fucking painful to even think about right now. But you had guys say it. There was a lot of pressure to be undefeated. And it just adds to the pressures of trying to accomplish the ultimate goal, which is winning a championship, right? That should really be the only pressure. When you then add a whole nother pressure as to not just winning a championship, but winning a championship undefeated, that's something that, that, that I don't think you want. I don't think you want to try to embrace. I don't think it's a good thing. Now, you're going to embrace it because you have to embrace it because you're not trying to lose as a player. I'm just trying to tell you, as a, if you're a fan out there in Kentucky, could be the best thing that's ever happened to Kentucky basketball this season if they end up losing a game, <laughs> losing a game before the, the NCAA tournament, right? But here's what I thought last night. If you told me that a team like Georgia, or even anybody for that matter, was going to be in a game with Kentucky, I didn't think it was going to be because of the other team played the way that Georgia played. Georgia was, they were, they wanted to go down to the post. They drove to the basket. They went in the paint. They went to the dirty areas. They put their work boots on. And they were getting underneath the basket, and they were going up strong. I thought it was going to be Georgia maybe shooting some threes, thinking that, you know, some kid on the team, get you know, one of the guards gets hot as a pistol and just shoots the lights out. All of a sudden, hey, look, we're Georgia in our own building. We got a ball game because we got a kid who's got the hot hand and we're riding him right now. That's how I thought a team would be in against Kentucky. Not, not trying to go, you know, toe-to-toe with Kentucky's bigs underneath the basket. But guess what? Georgia did that. And even their guard play, they were driving to the hoop. Man, I didn't think it was going to look like that for a team that had a shot to beat Kentucky, but it did. Um, so, who knows what happens here moving forward. Um, but that just, uh, I, look, I thought Georgia had it last night. They obviously didn't. But I, I, seeing how close they were, I just I was a little surprised that, that they were that close to beating Kentucky playing the way they played, the strategy that they had. Uh, you know, you end up liking the strategy. You like seeing them go toe-to-toe on the post, underneath the basket. I, I liked watching it. But, you know, it, it turns out it wasn't the strategy, ultimately, to win them the game and defeat Kentucky. And we'll see what happens with Kentucky moving forward. But I'm sorry, there is that pressure. There's that elephant in the room that is an undefeated season. And to me, it's an added pressure that, if you're a fan, I you you should prefer not to have. Right? It would be It's a cool thing if you can do it. But if you're just talking about championship and the pressures that go along with it, the pressure of winning a championship is enough. It is enough to possibly derail a team. Never mind adding the pressure of going undefeated while doing it. So, if you're Kentucky and you're a fan, you're a fan eh. <laughs> losing a game before the tournament wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, I don't think. Um, Jeff Howe, Boston Herald, he joined me. I talked to him this morning on the Sky Potline. And uh, we talked NFL, we talked franchise tag, we talked free agency, we talked specifically New England Patriots. And once again, he's got some good stuff on Darrell Revis and potentially where Revis's mindset is at here. 
as we get closer to free agency and the Patriots still not with a deal. They still don't have a deal with Revis, and I don't know what's going on, but they better figure it out and get that deal done because that is the guy that you cannot afford to lose if we're still thinking about championships with this Patriots team moving forward. So here you go. Enjoy the conversation, and uh, we'll wrap it up after this. All right, joining me now on the Skype hotline is Jeff Howe from the Boston Herald. Patriots insider for the Boston Herald. Jeff, what's going on? How you doing today? Doing well, Danny. How are you? I'm good. Uh, franchise tag deadline was Monday at 4 o'clock, and we saw some guys get franchised, some not. We'll get to the Patriots in just a few minutes. Uh, but what was the biggest surprise to you, or what really jumped off the screen to you with regards to what teams uh, either used the franchise tag or teams didn't use the franchise tag? Uh, what was the biggest story in your mind uh, on Monday? I think the biggest one was the one that we all were kind of focusing on for basically the entire run of this offseason down in Dallas. Was it going to be DeMarco Murray or Des Bryant? And everything that's swirling around Des Bryant right now made that clearly a tricky decision, uh, whether or not the Cowboys wanted to commit that type of money to him for the immediate future and then potentially into a long-term contract. Another one uh, much more under the radar was Charles Clay, the Dolphins using the transition tag on him. He was a guy that I pegged as a Patriots target from what I was hearing heading into the combine. I thought that was going to be somebody that they aggressively, or not aggressively, but did their homework on and were going to try to bring in as maybe a third tight end type or a second tight end. And his market kind of blew up. I, I think they received a lot more interest in him, and the Dolphins realized that there was no way that they were going to be able to keep him without a big money deal. So they used the transition tag on him, which is basically a step below the franchise. One thing that I noticed on Monday that, I don't know, maybe I'm just noticing now and it's happened before, but I, I feel like the mindset out there is when a team doesn't franchise use the franchise tag on a big-time player uh, and, a, and a Pro Bowl-type player, we look at that as some type of negative thing where maybe we automatically say, okay, that player is no longer going to be playing for that team. I think maybe DeMarco Murray is the guy in that category. Maybe some people look at um, Nadamik and Sue with Detroit and say, okay, now he's going to test the free agent market. But I guess the way I always had looked at the franchise tag in previous years is that I didn't think guys wanted to be franchised. I, I didn't think guys wanted the tag. I thought when a guy doesn't get the franchise tag, it opens up the possibility for a multi-year deal with that team that he's with. I mean, how do you look at uh, guys who aren't franchised, like a guy like Ndamukong and Sue, uh, or a guy like Damako Mari? Do you automatically assume that they're not going to be with the team that they were with previously? Um, or, or do you think that it gives them a better chance uh, to return to that town? I think you're kind of right on both accounts because you're sort of talking from two different angles. From the team perspective, the reason why the teams use the tag more often than not, maybe Gostowski is a bit of an exception just because of the position he plays, is because the team was afraid that another team is going to blow them out of the water in free agency, and that's why they're going to lose them. So they use the franchise tag to keep the player. So I, I think that's why you're right there. If they don't use the tag, there's a high probability that that player is going to get uh, above what that team is, will, his original team is willing to pay, or in a case like McCordy, where the safety market is ballooning and the rest of the safeties around the league are, are fairly unimpressive, he's probably going to get paid w more than what he's worth, or he's going to get offered more than what he's worth. What he ends up accepting is a different story. The other side of it, from the player's perspective, 
I can guarantee you that McCordy is doing somersaults, backflips, because of, they didn't use the franchise tag on him. Mm. $9.6 million is a lot of money, and he would have been very happy to play for that next year under the assumption that they were going to continue working toward a new deal. And even if they didn't get one, he would have gotten a new deal next year because there's no way they would have franchised the safety and paid him close to $12 million in 2016. So he now opens himself up to get, I would think, a minimum of five years and $40 million. And if some team goes all gyrus bird on him and gives him way too much money, then he maybe he's approaching the $50 million range. How much of that money he'll actually play out in his contract, we'll see. But a guy like that is, is set to make a ton of money or a ton more money right now than he would have if he got tagged. And Dominican Sue is a bit of a rare case because his salary was so high, and then you have to do the, the 120% rule, and he would have made, I think it was 26 or $27 million under the tag this year. So I'm pretty sure he would have been pumped to get the tag too. But you look at him, and, and the last really, the last couple big, big, big time defensive linemen, different positions, but defensive linemen who hit the market, Mario Williams and Albert Hainsworth got $100 million contracts. So, and Dominican Sue is set to make out, too. It's just, do you look at it from a short-term or a long-term perspective? He was going to get paid a ton of money either way. Do you think the Patriots should have give, put the franchise tag on Devin McCourty? I think if they, see, that's, I, I'm, I'm trying not to sit on the fence here, but I can see it for both ways. Number one, they can't, they shouldn't try to lose. I mean, they can't lose him. He's an important player. Mm. I mean, we're not going to rehash stuff that everybody knows. Yeah. But I think the other side of it is maybe they didn't use it because they feel strongly enough that they're close enough to a deal that they can get it done in the next week. And they didn't want to commit $9.6 million to McCourty, which is an extra five, five and a half than they have to already have put on the books to Gostowski at the moment. So that is one less transaction they potentially have to make in time for Tuesday when they have to be compliant with the cap. And right now, they're between 10 and $15 million over it. Or the Patriots could say, hey, McGordy wants too much money right now. The franchise tag at 9.6 isn't even going to help jumpstart these negotiations. I mean, he, if his price is whatever it is, let's say Patriots are willing to give him 5 and 40. I'm just throwing these numbers mm -hmm. against the wall. I'm yep. not privy to the exact tenor of the negotiations. Patriots are willing to go to 540, and McCordy is saying, no, 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 I want – five and 48 then the patriots could say hey this is going to be 9.6 million dollars it's not even going to be put to good use because when they use the tag they want to use that towards rolling over into a contract extension so i could see two reasons right there why the patriots wouldn't have used it now i think it's a huge gamble that they could potentially lose him and if they're willing to pay him market value and they're saying hey you know what dare you to go to free agency let's see what your market looks like and then he gets a Jairus Bird type of offer from a team that could legitimately go to the playoffs for the next handful of seasons, then the Patriots would have lost that gamble. And that would be, I think, the wrong route to take. But if it's the first two, then I can definitely see it from their perspective. Well, listen, I mean, the tone from some, and it gets back to something that I just talked about with the franchise tag and, and when guys aren't tagged, how it's sort of being viewed out there in general. I guess the tone of, of some that I hear is that, you know, the Patriots don't put the franchise tag on Devin McCourty. And I guess I sort of hear this tone even out of Devin McCourty's mouth, which is, you know, that possibility of playing for another team. But, but I guess the question I have in all this, and... and 
it's if if Devin McCourty now that he's not fr- does now that he doesn't have the franchise tag on him. Does that, I mean, does that necessarily mean automatically he's not going to be back with the Patriots? I mean, that's the tone that I hear out there, that he's automatically gone, that he's not going to be back, that there's no chance that they could even bring him back along with Darrell Rivas. And and I guess the way I look at it is you have two guys this offseason that you really need to make sure you lock up. It's McCourty and Rivas. I, I mean, the secondary to me, it goes back to the defense of this Patriots team and why they're Super Bowl champs and why things changed for this Patriots team this season and why they were successful hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Really, those two guys are a major major factor. I just figured it was a no-brainer for the Patriots. Do everything you can to bring those guys back. So, with McCourty not being tagged, do you think now that they will get a deal? And and how does that play into Darrell Rivas and his contract moving forward? Well, it's they definitely go hand in hand. And, I mean, it's the tenor or the tone of the last few days, it, it, it deserves to be pessimistic. Just because, again, the money is going to be great out there for him. I mean, the NFL just has so much more money to spend right now, and McCourty is going to get more than I think the Patriots market dictates. And who knows, maybe, I mean, if you want to read into it another way, maybe McCourty is sitting there saying their best offer was four years and, and $22 million like T.J. Ward got, and I think I can get five and 45 out there. Then, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's probably just depressed because he knows he's not coming back. Now, again, I'm completely just throwing that against the wall. Yeah. not saying that's what happened. But maybe that's why you're hearing him come to – having one of those come-to-Jesus talks that he's had with a couple of reporters already. So I don't know what's going on there. But the other side was trying to get Revis and McCourty back. Right now, and this is kind of a – it shows how sloppy the NFLPA and the NFL can be when trying to work together. Mm. The math I've done on the salary cap with the NFLPA info, all, with all the contracts presented to me right in front of my – you know, right on paper, you take the top 51 contract and all the team's dead money, and I figured that the Patriots, again, doing all the math, the Patriots are $10.7 million over the cap right yeah. now. Uh, the NFL released a memo to teams saying the Patriots are 14.6. You know, the Patriots are one of the 32 teams that they released everywhere. This was on just a Patriots-specific memo. But they had the Patriots at $14.6 million over the cap. That's a pretty wide amount of money, and I don't know what the, the reason is for the disparity. But let's just say... Just for the sake of the argument, let's just split the difference. Let's say they're $12 million over the cap right now. They have until Tuesday at 4 p.m., the start of free agency, to be cap compliant. They have, again, including the top 51 contracts or cap hits and the dead money. They can do that very easily by just releasing Darrell Rivas and saving $20 million in cap money right there. And then they could say they could sign Revis to I don't know four year deal five year deal, knock down the cap hit in the first year based on a number of things number of things that would be boring to the listeners and 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 they could still have be cap compliant right there just by releasing him and and signing him to a new deal mm-hmm. and keeping that twelve million dollars over the cap in mind. Now if you want to get McCordy right off the bat too, now you have to start getting a little more creative. Nate Solder has a $7.4 million cap hit next in 2015 that is fully guaranteed, and he's in line for a contract extension. If they knock that thing down and turn it into a long-term signing bonus or a long-term contract with a signing bonus and a low first-year salary, they could probably free up another $4 million right there. Vince Wilfork, they could decline his option on Monday, save $8 million against the cap. 
there's more money right there. Now, eventually, then you have to rework or you have to try to bring Will Fork back. Brandon Browner, they could decline his option, save $4.8 million against the cap. Another guy that maybe they'd have to try to work out a new deal with. I think Browner's contract is so team-friendly that they might be willing to, to rework the deal rather than just straight release him, but mm-hmm. then you save less money there. Uh, you could release the, the combination of Dennard, Tavon Wilson, and Michael Oamano Inouye and save about $2 million right off the bat. And Gerard Mayo is a guy that he his $4.5 million injury guarantee is guaranteed until he passes his physical, which isn't expected to be until at least late April at the earliest. So they're probably not going to rework that deal anytime in the near future. So uh, there are a handful of different ways that the Patriots can go. And Gostowski is another one, too, with the four point. Right, the NFLPA says he's at $4.1 million on the books right now. So they could turn that into, again, a signing bonus for a long-term deal, kick it down and try to save one and a half to two million, I would guess. So there are a number of different ways that the Patriots can strategically maneuver around the salary cap numbers and keep all of these guys. It just takes creative accounting. And again, this isn't going to be a crash course for Bill Belichick and Nick Casario. They're very good at planning for this stuff years in advance, or at least a full year in advance. They knew what was presented to them this offseason, and they just have to figure out a way to convince everybody to go along with it. Holy shit, Jeff. Do you walk around with a calculator all day? Or what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because... This the- is, uh, look, there's no way. If we had this conversation 24 hours ago, I wouldn't have been able to say any of that. But I've, I've been working on a story for tomorrow's paper, and that basically sums up the entire thing. All right, I got you had a good time then. You mentioned Mayo. You did. You mentioned Mayo. How much, I mean, let's just, could they just cut him outright and save a lot of money? Is that the way that would work or, or no with the, with the injury situation? Yeah, so that's, that's a really complicated one. If they cut him right now, see, that's why they don't have the leverage to really renegotiate his deal. He's got a 10 point, I think $1 million cap hit for 2015. He's got a $6.1 million base salary and a $4.5 million injury guarantee, which again, guarantees if they cut him right now before or any time before he passes physical after tearing that pector, uh, the whatever that ligament was yeah. in, his, uh, in his knee there, mm-hmm. uh, he, he would get $4.5 million in cash. That goes against the cap. Now, when you're trying to save money, you, go, you take off the base salary. So you try to work off the 6.1 and not the, the 10.1. So you take down the 6.1, turn it into a signing bonus, and then spread it across the rest of the life of the deal or you prorate it across the rest of the life of the deal. The problem is with the 6.1 and the $4.5 million injury guarantee being so close, there's so very little wiggle room to actually have right now. Mm. So what you, the Patriots would need is for Mayo to say, you know what, I will waive my injury guarantee if you just turn that into a signing bonus, spread that across the life of the deal. The thing is, it's just Mayo has so much leverage, and knowing I mean, coming off of two serious injuries, the guy's had another couple minor knee injuries in the past. Mayo could say, hey, if you turn this into a signing bonus or, or this or that, there's, there's a very legitimate chance I'm not going to see this money or, or the money that I, I'm scheduled to make in 2016 and 2017. So why would I do that now? So it's kind of tough. There's got to be a big give and take there. And that's why I think it would be easier for the Patriots to approach him after he passes his physical. 
Is this an NFL problem? I, I mean, I'm I'm watching, I'm looking at this trade yesterday with McCoy, you know, for Kiko Alonso and, you know, McCoy's salary. It seems like every year we're talking about guys who are big-time players in the National Football League that the team that they're on can't afford. And they 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 were just willing to get rid of them. Um, and, and I'm sitting there wondering, why does this always happen in the National Football League? I mean, do you look at this as being a league issue and a problem that, that maybe could be fixed? Or, or do you think this is just on the teams uh, individually that overpay for certain players and get themselves in situations that they, they can't afford to handle? It, do you look at this as a problem? And is, is this a bad thing for the NFL with situations like this? I think there are a lot of issues with contracts that, I mean, I could keep you on the phone for a long time. It would be terrible radio. <laughs> uh, so I'll try to spare you most of it. But, I mean, just the, the players not being fully guaranteed their money hurts. The way that teams are so smart at navigating the cap and spreading out cap hits and basically making it so if you sign a four- or five-year deal, there's virtually an 80% chance that you're, if not even greater, yeah. that you're not even going to play out the full length of that contract. Because, again, it's it's similar to the way hockey, I think, used to be before they tweaked the cap and that you can spread out these the, the proration of this deal and really back-end the cap hits. So if you look at, like, Akeem Tlaib is a good, in, uh, a good example. Last year he signed a, a six-year, $57 million deal with the Broncos. It's really only a three-year, $27 million deal. Mm. Based on the way the signing bonus works out and against the cap hits, that the Broncos can save, I think it was, if memory serves, it was like 9 or $10 million by cutting him starting in the fourth year of that deal. So if you're a key to leave, you have to look at this contract and say, all right, I'm only getting three years of $27 million. If I'm still playing great, Maybe I get four and, and 37 or whatever it happens to turn out to be. But there is also another part of it where these, the signing bonus is prorated only through the first five years of a deal. So if you sign a six-year deal, you have, I would, I would argue, you have a 99.9% chance to never see the sixth year of that contract like Tlaib won't because a team could just outright cut you and they have no dead money and you save a boatload of money against a salary cap. So it's just, it's such a complicated thing. It's a complicated cap to understand. I mean, I learn new stuff about it every day. I honestly had a conversation yeah. with somebody yesterday when I was learning something new about it. At least it's not the NBA. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd be here all we'd be here all day talking about the NBA and what they do with their salaries, especially when it comes to actually trading. You know, matching salaries at the trade deadline or any really any trade, trade exemptions, everything that you have in that league. So we won't try to sit here and compare the two. What did you What did you think, Jeff, about the McCoy trade, though? I mean, what are the Eagles doing? You know, it looks as if they're bringing in. Um, you know, Chip Kelly's bringing in all his guys, bringing in all his Oregon guys, and I guess then you look at the draft and maybe say, well, maybe they'll go up and, and try to bring in Mariota. Uh, did you like what the Eagles did yesterday, or, or do you look at it and say they're crazy and the Bills just got a whole lot better? Uh, I don't I mean, I thought it was just a block sort of trade for both teams. I mean, the Eagles, good for them. They created a lot of cap space, but their offensive overhaul, what do they have? I mean, they're they're not expected to keep Macklin. They've already lost to Sean Jackson. Now they have no McCoy. Their quarterback situation is certainly not even close to solidified. So Chip Kelly, when you start going with your guys and you have a dictator type of way of running business, 
you have, you really run the fine line of losing your locker room. So this is going to be a huge, huge year for Chip Kelly with his future with the Eagles. Uh, on the Bills side of it, they took on a bigger cap hit. They have tons of cap money right now. I mean, they've close to $30 million. So the McCoy money isn't that big of a deal. Uh, they got rid of a guy, again, who is coming off his second tour in ACL. He had one of them in college on the other knee. So there's always a little bit of a gamble there when you got a young young guy coming back. I had one conspiracy theory that I threw out there late last night. It, the, after getting over the initial impressions of the deal, Rex Ryan is – Bobby, I mean, he would have to. He would need his head checked if he wasn't interested in trying to re or trying to reunite with Terrell Revis. Yeah. If if the two, if it comes to that, if the Patriots have to expose him to free agency next week, the Bill, Terrell Revis, from everything I've been told, and I have a really good grasp on the things that he is looking for in free agency or, or just from his next contract. The guy wants to win. And I think people who are just looking and saying, hey, you know what, Rex Ryan wants him. Why would Darrell Reeves not want to be interested? Well, because the Bills have no chance of winning right now. Rex Ryan just brought in a pit guy, a Pennsylvania kid. Darrell Reeves is a pit guy and a Pennsylvania kid. They have some sort of connection. I'm not sure how close it is. But the, the, first, the best comparison I could think of was when the, when the Celtics brought in Ray Allen. It was like, oh, okay, sweet. But then they used Ray Allen to bring in Kevin Garnett. Hmm. So I'm wondering, and look, again, I'm throwing something against the wall here. I have no idea, but it just, is Rex Ryan using this as a chip to say, hey, we're moving in the right direction. If we bring you in, the defense is even better. I know the quarterback situation isn't ideal, but now LaShawn McCoy's in the backfield. We can get a quarterback, plug and play, and then maybe in year two, we're really on to something here. So maybe he's just trying to put together some sort of home run type of sales pitch to bring in Darrell Revis next week. Maybe this is the first ship of a couple that he wants to bring in in the next week and a half. But I wonder if it is some sort of recruiting tool. Well, look, Jeff, I mean, you say you're throwing shit against the wall, but let's be honest. Uh, it's not crazy because what I think is crazy is the fact that we're sitting here on March 4th with NFL free agency beginning on March 10th, right? And Darrell Revis, we're having a conversation as to whether or not he'll be back with the Patriots after, the te- after he helped the team change his defense and win him a Super Bowl. I think that's crazy that we're even having this conversation that he's not already locked up. I mean, do you think that's crazy? I mean, I, I just don't understand how, how we're having the conversation. I don't understand how it wasn't a no-brainer a long time ago to make sure you get something done and make sure that Darrell Revis here, Darrell Revis is, is in New England for the next couple of years. Yeah, you're right. It would be a massive, colossal mistake for the Patriots not to retain Darrell Revis. Now, the only way that I can see them not doing it is if every bit of information that I've gained about Revis has been complete, completely false over the last few months, and I feel strongly that it isn't. But let's say Revis does go back to saying, hey, you know what, I do want to be the highest paid corner in the league. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I want there to be a substantial cushion between myself and Patrick Peterson. Uh, or maybe it's no longer the average annual value. Maybe he's like, hey, you know what, I just played one of the best seasons of my life, uh, I want I want the most guaranteed money from a, a cornerback in the market right now. And if it is that, and Revis wants something like five years and $80 million, like the deal he got from Tampa Bay, with a lot more guaranteed money, then I can see the Patriots saying, Darrell, you know, it's, you want more money than Tom Brady, significantly more mo- money than Tom Brady. It's just not our model, and, and we're not even close. Now, I don't think it's that bad. Maybe they're haggling over some incentive clauses or, or just a couple – minor details or something like that, but 
the two sides didn't sign a contract during the season. That was Revis's preference because he wanted to focus on winning the Super Bowl. He has since been talking with his people about the the possibility of going back to back, and mm. he t- turned down four million dollars in the first year of a deal last year to sign with the Patriots because he wanted to win. The Patriots gave him a significantly better chance to win the Super Bowl in 2014 than the other teams that were courting him. And Revis has left money on the table once, and I know that has that wasn't his standard operating procedure in the first handful of years of his career, but I think he has seen the light and said, rebuilding isn't really my thing, or being on a team that's going to be a going to the playoffs but legitimately has no chance to beat the Patriots or the Seahawks or, or whoever next year, you know, that might not be his thing. And I just think that he, uh, the Patriots can't take advantage of that. They can't say, well, hey, you know what? You did it for 12 last year. It would really be helpful if you did it for 10 for the next four years. And Revis is going to say, well, I mean, you're crazy. The worst-case scenario is I go to the market and I get 15. Now you want me to give up five? It's not giving up two. So I, I just don't know. I mean, you can't – while I'm somewhat discounting what Revis's past history before joining the Patriots in contract talk, you can't really discount the way the Patriots have gone to the wall, gone to the mat with guys like Will Fork mm. and Logan Mankins and Wes Welker and so on and so forth and been perfectly – and now potentially Devin McCourty and been perfectly content with letting those guys walk or, or not walk, but, I mean, storm out or hold out or, or throw a temper tantrum or, or yeah. have some ill will against the organization before finding a new deal. So they, they drive a hard line. So I just – I believe me, I wish both sides were more of an open book as these negotiations are going on. I'm just kind of guessing. I don't know. I know a lot about what these two sides want. I just don't know exactly the details of how they want to get there. But you say you got a grasp on it, and, and basically I'm going to take that as if the people you talk to, um, you feel as if Revis is, his mindset is more along the lines of, or, or is going to be along the lines of, trying to win, and you mentioned win back-to-back championships, more so than being the highest-paid corner or player in the league. Right? So, so that's the grasp you have, just to clarify that you think Revis, his mindset is to, is to win again more than be the highest-paid corner? Yes, absolutely. I felt very strongly about that since I gained uh, some new information in January. All right. Well, that then that's good news. That's good news. So I let's just hope the Patriots. I just hope the Patriots uh, don't try to mess with that. But as you just mentioned, hey, you know, um, Dave Dave played hardball with a lot of big time players in this organization and in this league, and uh, it certainly should be interesting here moving forward. He is Jeff Howe from the Boston Herald. Um, make sure you check him out on Twitter. Follow all the scoops and all the information that he gets. Listen, Jeff, uh, great job. Thanks a lot. As always, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Danny. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. There you go. Jeff Howe, Boston Herald. Great stuff right there. Uh, I am here five days a week. Make sure you listen at dannypicard.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Poll of the day is simple today. It's who got the best of the trade last night between the Eagles and the Bills. The Eagles or the Bills. Who who got the better of the trade? Um, If you ask me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, the Bills got the better of the trade. The problem the Bills have is they don't have a quarterback, and that's an issue. That's a big-time issue. And 
and we've seen it for a long time in that organization. If you don't have a QB, I don't care who you bring in offensively, you're not going to have a shot to win a championship in this league, and you're certainly not going to have a shot to win in the AFC East as long as Tom Brady is around. So that will be the poll of the day. Bills or Eagles, who got the better of the trade last night? Once again, uh, special thanks to Jeff Howell, to Boston Herald. I'm here five days a week. I'm telling you right now, we're on iTunes soon. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook. I'll keep you updated. Um, tomorrow's a Violent Gentleman Thursday. We're working on a nice interview for that. And then Friday, we'll wrap up the week. Um, yeah, five days a week. DannyPicard.com. Talk to you tomorrow.